Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which this work was developed and is presented. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. In reference to this particular theme of translation, I would also like to acknowledge that many Indigenous Australian languages have been tragically lost. Last year, my mother performed in an orchestral and choral requiem written and composed by Deborah Cheatham called Eumorella, a war requiem for peace. This requiem is sung entirely in the ancient dialects of the Gunditjmara people and is about the Eumorella resistance wars, which were wars between the European settlers and the Gunditjmara indigenous people in southwest Victoria, which is the state in which I live. This happened in the 1840s to the 1860s and resulted in a lot of death and destruction. And when Deborah Cheatham visited the battleground in Victoria, she was so moved um, that she created and composed this requiem. The recorded performance is available on YouTube and it will be linked in the show notes. And I think due to the theme of translation and reading and experiencing stories in other languages this month, I thought it would be very apt to mention it and highlight how throughout history some languages have been considered more important than others and those that have not been considered important have been uh, almost completely eradicated. When I was writing this episode, I was reminded of this performance that I saw and how incredibly moving it was to watch something that was performed in an ancient dialect that I had never heard before and that had often been ignored in history. So uh, if you are interested, then I would highly recommend checking it out. It's an incredible piece of music and it will be linked in the show notes. Hello and welcome back to the Community Library, a podcast, book club and discussion space. I'm your host, Angowri Rice. And I'm Kate Rice. I am very excited to be talking to one of the smartest people I know, Um, my mum, Kate Rice. She has a PhD in the ethics of playwriting about real events, and she is also bilingual and a translator, so I thought it would be very apt to interview her for this episode. What's your relationship with languages? Because you started learning German when you were quite young, right? When you were younger than I am now. I guess I first became aware of other languages and of German in particular when we had a German exchange student come and stay at our house when I was five years old. And she was so glamorous and lovely. And she, you know, she taught us all a little bit about Germany and about German and I was the only person in the family a family of you know four (laughs) um, who could pronounce the word Schwarzbord correctly which um, obviously made a big impression on me I mean it's quite possible that as a five-year-old they were just being nice to me going oh that's so cute you're the one who can do it but I you know from then on I felt oh I can do this this is something that I can do and that, that not everyone can do so yeah it kind of started from there I had a a book about German and Germany and tried to teach myself and then I learned it at school and then I ended up being an exchange student to Germany myself and it wasn't until I was there of course that I actually became fluent learning in school is certainly the way it it was taught then is not the same 
And so then when I came along and when Calliope came along, when we were 10, when I was 10 and Calliope was seven, you decided to move the whole family to Germany. (laughs) And that was a big change for everyone. And yeah, can you talk me through like why you wanted that decision and why you wanted Calliope and I to learn another language? Well, the experience of learning another language and being immersed in another culture, you know, I should qualify it by saying, of course, it's not that foreign a culture, not that different a culture Mm -hmm. from ours. It was still a a rich Western democracy. Um, So not that different. But then, but the experience of learning another language impressed me greatly as a person. And I continued my love with Germany and my love of German. I kept up my language as much as I possibly could. And um, Jeremy, my partner, was also very supportive and we knew that we wanted to have that experience as a family and, and share that experience. And I wanted you as my children to understand what it means to know what an, to, to know that there are other cultures and there are other languages. We thought about going elsewhere, but we decided as a family Germany was probably the best place to get this experience because I already had the language. So we knew that we would get in faster than we would if we went anywhere where none of us could speak the language. Um, that's why we chose Germany. And also be- it was helpful that uh, that Jeremy is a British citizen. So mm-hmm. that's why we why we went there. And it was, it was a very difficult thing. I knew it would be hard, um, but I, and, and I knew it would be painful in lots of ways for you. Um, and I remember feeling very upset at various points when it was really difficult, but then I firmly believed at then, and I still do, that it was going to be worth it. And it really is that experience of, um, of understanding what, an, what it means to live in another language and see another language is the kind of experience that you can only get that way you can't Mm. learn it any other way Mm. you have to experience it and live it yes I remember being 10 and being like oh my god you're ruining my life (laughs) but I think I think even then I knew that this was going to be one of the most valuable experiences in my life and I'm so grateful for it now because I think it just informs um yeah I just think I've been very lucky because it has informed my whole life and how I look at languages and reading and culture. And so transitioning into um, reading and translation, when did you first start working in translation? Uh, well, it was in Germany. We'd been there for, I think we, we had initially planned that we, we could stay for six months. But then when we were there, we loved it so much we wanted to stay. But that meant that Jeremy and I would both have to work. So we started looking around for what jobs we could do. Um, And I saw an advertisement for a translator for a women's magazine. So like a a gossipy um, beauty advice, uh, interviews with stars, lots of articles on sex and... um, astrology (laughs) kind of thing I saw this ad they were advertising for a translator who would translate the German magazine into English so that it could then be translated into other languages because this this magazine didn't just appear in Germany it appeared in you know Belarus and Romania and Poland and all these other places and most of those places they could they had a direct translator who could do German into the target language but for Indonesia and a couple of other places 
they didn't have a direct translator, so they needed someone to do German-English and then it would go English-Indonesian. <laughs> so I saw the ad and I thought, hey, I read women's magazines. I can write. I can speak German. I can do this, even though I don't have a degree in, in translation. Although I did, do, I did do German at tertiary level, but I don't have a translation degree, which is a different skill. Anyway, I actually found a German women's magazine took an article from it, translated it into English and I sent it in and said, look, I can do this. Um, and then I didn't get the job. But as it turned out, the person who did get the job couldn't start for six weeks or a couple of months. So they took me on while they waited for her. And then when she got there, they kind of rearranged the position and decided to carve the translation, the, just the translation part out of the position so I continued working as a contractor so I kept doing it and then when I moved back to Australia I kept doing it so I actually kept doing that job for about six years yeah. six seven years and then finally they got rid of the department after much much restructuring and um, then I found work with another translation company so I still do that occasionally. What kind of stuff do you translate now? Sadly the company I work for now does not do astrology or um, celebrity interviews <laughs> or sex advice um, for a long time I was doing press articles newspaper articles about a bank and then the other things I've picked up have been like company reports did you prefer the magazine oh yeah the magazine was hugely fun it was really good it wasn't at all challenging but I did like it and you know and the fashion was fun I did enjoy it so this all of this translation is uh non-fiction or it's it's not fiction it's not novels but what is I think what's your process of translation and how does that how do you think that process might also be applied to um novels and fiction and what what challenges and ethics come with that you know um, so the first question, what my process is, yeah. the first thing I do is I translate it fairly quickly for sense in a kind of straight prosaic way. So I, so I get the meaning out and then the next one, I make it beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of go back and make it, make it more, um, make it make sense in English rather than as a more direct translation and and going back to the original as well and then I go back over I think basically the the main secret with translation is to keep going over it and over it and over it and to make sure that it's right because you make mistakes people make mistakes all the time um from what I've read about creative translation um and my understanding of it is that it's similar but there's more work involved in um it's not really just about getting the meaning and make, and then making it sound fluent in the target language. It's it because there are so many different layers of meaning in fiction. There's a lot more detail involved in working out what the associations are with each image and with each word and and trying to keep them consistent throughout the novel. So, or or the play or or whatever it is you're translating. So that so that if a word is used in a particular sense in one part of the book, it is used in the same sense in another part. Mm. in you know with with non-fiction that's not as crucial yeah have you translated fiction before only my own little bits because 
Yeah, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> but in my, my PhD was I, I created a, a theatre piece um, based on a real event that happened in Germany. And so I read a lot of German works, including fiction, for that. And then I would translate them myself to use when I quoted them in my work mm, mm. rather than using someone else's translation. Why did you choose to do that? Partly because I could, sometimes because the, there was no translation, the, a translation didn't exist. There is, I, I do remember a particular quote from Alone in Berlin, Yiddish for Zichelein, that I used and there was, a, there was a word that came up there that was difficult to translate. And I translated it differently to how I saw it done elsewhere. What are the ethics of translating something into another language? Like, is there a code of conduct? Where can you take creative liberties and where should you not? And how do you think that might be different in terms of translating nonfiction and translating fiction? Uh, well, there. If if one were to be an accredited translator, which I'm not, um, <laughs> you have to... You have to basically, it's like signing a Hippocratic Oath for a doctor or mm. something. You, you know, you have to pledge to be accurate. So ethically, you know, there is an ethic, ethical responsibility in the job of translating to keep it faithful to the original. However, anyone who speaks two languages or even someone who doesn't really quite speak two, two languages, you know, it's pretty easy to understand that that there is no such thing as a direct correlation. Like you can never do an absolutely direct, faithful um, translation. They don't match up. There's no exact equivalence. So there's always going to be a little bit of a process in there. And I guess the idea of holding translators accountable is to um, keep them aware of that and mindful of that. And obviously, you know, you're not allowed to distort, exaggerate, lie, mm -hmm you know, make your translation say what you want it to say rather than what it actually says. Mm. It is a bit different in fiction. I guess your imperative is to create a work of art that at the very least is of the same standard as the original and to the point that you can says the same thing as the original. But you would find that you would, that, that in a work of art and particularly for the stage that, that, that certainly translators and theatre makers will take a lot more of a liberty with, with that, with what, what that means to say, well, I'm being faithful to in this aspect by completely changing this other thing. <laughs> I mean, the only example I can think of is I remember going to a, a lecture, a, a talk given by someone who's done a lot of theatrical translation. She was talking about the inside windows that in Ibsen... Um, because Ibsen, huge, you know, hugely influential... influential playwright and there is a scene where they talk about taking out the inside windows because in Scandinavia oh, yeah. in winter they will put on another layer of window and then when it's summer they take that layer out and that was a thing and some translations just ignore that completely mm. or change it completely saying well nobody understands what that even means so we can't so it's not going to mean the same thing so we've got to take it out and replace it put something else in there. I recently read a work translated from Korean for the theme this month and it's the first first novel I've read translated from Korean and I I chose it not knowing how much wordplay there was going to be in there. There was one section where let me see if I can find it. 
so so she's looking at someone she's looking at someone crying in the rain and she says i recall the common figure of speech between tears and rain and when i read that i wondered if that is a korean saying or phrase that can't be translated literally so she just translated it in that way what do you think of that yeah see that kind of thing you just think well there's something lost there or maybe there isn't but uh, and that's that is the that's always the challenge of reading a translation that I, I do find frustrating that you can never know like you read a phrase like that and go oh is there a common yeah. figure of speech or does this mean something else or is this to say that the person who's making that comment makes up that kind of stuff mm. don't know yeah that's tricky do you read a lot of translated fiction I mean that I I know that your favorite book of all time is translated from German so oh no, my favorite my favorite is the German <laughs> so do you in your mind do you see them as two separate works of fiction yeah yes the work is the German work and that's my favorite novel I did read it in English first and then I read it in German I want to go back and read it again because I love it so much what was the question do I read a lot of translated fiction mm. not a lot yeah and it's for that reason it's because and and I know that's it's kind of bad and I remember <laughs> saying that to somebody in my 20s I was like oh I don't read translated fiction because it's not the real thing and, <laughs> and they're like how how can you that just shuts you yourself away from so much literature mm-hmm. and it's true and it's true and I, I think we you know in the absence of speaking a million languages if you want to get if you want to get an understanding of other cultures definitely read translated fiction you've got to read translated fiction if you can't read the originals but I also, as a, as a translator and as someone who does speak another language, I do find it, it can be a little frustrating to read translated fiction and then go, but is that really what it means? Mm. Don't know. Have you ever read uh, fiction that was originally written in English, translated into German? That seems like a really weird thing to do. I did that. <laughs> oh, you did it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because, well, I mean, yes, and I... I uh, encourage you to do that because it's a way of helping your language when you read a, read something that you already know. Mm. Yeah, for sure. No, I haven't done that, but but I can see the I can certainly see the value in it. But but no, I I would be more likely to read things in German that are that were originally written in German. Mm. The, the the trick is for me finding it finding something that is challenging enough, but not too challenging. So I'm re- at the moment I'm actually reading a German novel and it's probably it's too hard for me it's a bit like it's like reading through a screen like I can't Mm. get the full picture all the time but it's it's good to challenge myself I guess so you do think that that there are subtleties that are lost when you translate into another language and that is really upsetting and sad (laughs) (laughs) uh yes of course there are going to be subtleties that are lost however that is not a reason not to read translated fiction. So everyone should definitely read it. And I was just being arrogant that time that I declared, no, I'm never reading translated fiction. I think you make I think you make a really valid point because when I was reading this Korean work, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I I feel like I'm missing a few things here. And that made me sad and it kind of but also there is would I rather read something 
that's translated and miss out on all these little things or not read it at all and just pick up something that's written in English. I think the the story that I read, I, I loved it. I thought it was really interesting and I can get by with not knowing those little things. Although I did find a, I found a review online that was written by someone who is fluent in Korean and English and he broke down a few of the translations and how the translator approached translating the wordplay that was used and it appeared that a lot of creative liberties had to be taken because she she makes word associations with words that rhyme and so or words that sound the same but are spelt differently and of course that's not gonna that's not gonna work if you translate it directly literally into English but I still think it was a valuable experience absolutely and of course of course you know it's like it's like watching a film in you know foreign language films you don't get everything but what you do get is a different perspective on the world and the more open and curious you can be about about that that whole new world that is opened up for you then then the better and also you know shout out to translators I mean mm-hmm. translators work hard and they spend years working on novels to get them as close as possible and as right as possible and translators are also writers because you know you've got to know how to string a sentence together in English to you know to make it sound Mm. good so yes a translated novel is always going to be a valuable a valuable thing is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of translation into fiction I suppose when you were talking I was thinking about films and how in a way a foreign language film is a lot is much more accessible way to get that experience experience and that perspective because you can still see you get all the advantage of the craft and the artist the artistry and the imagery and everything and then it's just the words it's just the dialogue just the tip of it that's Mm. that has to be has to be translated and you can pick up so much from the way they speak and Mm. even if you have no idea how um anything and anything of the language out of all the german works that you've read do you think that they have this kind of common um style of writing or way of telling a story that is distinctly different from how um, English-speaking authors construct sentences or use metaphors or similes or story structure? Well, their sentences can go for paragraphs, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. (laughs) And and the other thing that you would never get in an an English is is the the verb to the end thing so you know you can Mm. you can be reading a german sentence that's gone on for almost a whole full paragraph and then you get the verb right at the end which is a you know in english when you write it's a you know it's a it's a thing for writers to kind of keep the last word as one that that holds the meaning for the entire sentence Mm. and i think in german it's easier to do that Mm. um and english writers often do that good ones do but not everyone gets to but in in German maybe it's a bit easier (laughs) um I don't know I I think cultures are kind of bound up within their languages so 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 much of what I love about Germany comes out in its in the language as well as in the history and the culture and and the stories that I'm attracted to in German culture I think the same could be true of any language all right well I don't think I have any thing else to ask you but 
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Mummy. It was so it was so great and you're so smart and yes, you know so many things. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Angari. I have very much enjoyed it and um and yay. Thank you. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful what you're doing and I think it's really exciting that you've got people out there who are interested to um, read books and talk about them and listen to other people talk about them too. So thank thank you and thank you to the listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, you can subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. You can also rate and review on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast is now finally available on Spotify, so you can also listen there. You can follow the community library on Instagram at the underscore community underscore library and use the hashtag the community library on Instagram or Twitter. I also have a blog called angowrieslibrary.wordpress.com and there you can find full transcriptions of the episodes plus extra links and resources resources. The podcast artwork is designed by Ashley Running. You can look up more of her work at ashleyrunning.com or you can go to helio-press.com. That's dash the symbol. Once again, thank you for listening and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.